Our scripture reading this morning is from Exodus 36. If you could turn there with me. I'll be reading Exodus 36, verses 1 through 7. Bezalel and Aholiab and every craftsman in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary shall work in accordance with all that the Lord has commanded. And Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put skill, everyone whose heart stirred him up to come to do the work. And they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work on the sanctuary. They still kept bringing him freewill offerings every morning, so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came, each from the tasks that he was doing, and said to Moses, The people bring much more than enough for doing the work than the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave command, and word was proclaimed throughout the camp. Let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution for the sanctuary, so the people were restrained from bringing, for the material they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. Amen. Every day we see hundreds, if not thousands, of advertisements. And let me ask you, how many of those advertisements have to do with a product that is supposedly new and improved? Many of them, right? Uh, Right now, we are up to iPhone version 11, right? Uh, And iPhone 11 must be at least a bazillion times better than iPhone 10 to justify the high cost for that particular phone. Uh, But let me ask you as well, how many products are advertised that are promoting something that is old and obsolete? How many advertisements do you see for something like that? Not so many, right? And so for this reason, some of you might wonder, but you are far too polite to ask, why do the pastors of this church keep on preaching from the Old Testament? It is old. It's got old right in its name. Why don't we only read from the New Testament? If that is the way you think, let me read from Bible scholar Alec Mateer, who once said this. Think of what an Israelite would say on the way to Canaan after passing through the Red Sea. If you asked an Israelite, who are you? He might reply, I was in a foreign land under the sentence of death and in bondage, but I took shelter under the blood of the lamb. And our mediator led us out and we crossed over. Now we're on our way to the promised land, though we're not there yet. But he has given us his law to make us a community, and he has given us a tabernacle because we must live by grace and forgiveness. And he is present in our midst, and he will stay with us until we arrive home. Then Matir added, that is exactly what a Christian would say, almost word for word. Makes you think, doesn't it? The story of the Bible is one story with one message. So all of the Bible, both the Old Testament and the New Testaments, are profitable for us in knowing God and in loving him. Today's scripture reading from Exodus 36 in the Old Testament is a story about the nation of Israel right after they had been freed from slavery in Egypt. 
the people were told to build a tabernacle, a beautiful tent in which God was to be worshipped by all of the people of Israel. I brought a picture of that beautiful tent this morning for you to see. It's from the uh, English Standard Version uh, from the Study Bible there. And you can see the inside of the tent. Uh, obviously, a lot of it made with gold. And you see the purple linen as well, uh, which had pictures of angels and cherubim in it. You can see the beautiful golden lampstand. You can also see in the back of it the Ark of the Covenant. And you can see the table in which was held the bread of the presence. So it's a beautiful beautiful tent in which the people of God were to worship him. And the people of Israel gave generously in order that God might be worshipped in this tabernacle. They gave so generously, in fact, that Moses had to tell the people in Exodus 36 and verse 6, stop giving. Stop giving your money. We've got more than enough. Can you imagine that? Can you ever imagine a pastor telling his church, you all need to stop giving? (laughs) Frankly, I cannot imagine that. But God wants us to get to the point where we give so joyfully that our generosity overflows in giving to God and his work. How do we become so generous? I'd like for us to look at Exodus 36 today and see some ways that we can be joyfully generous with the money that God has given to us in this Thanksgiving season. First of all, you become generous when the Holy Spirit enters your life. In Exodus 36 and verse 1, we see two of the primary craftsmen that God used to build the tabernacle tent, Bezalel and Aholiab. And what had the Lord given to these two men? Verse 1 of chapter 36 says that God had put in them skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary. And specifically, which of the persons in our triune God had given these craftsmen their skill? Well, if you brought your Bible, and I hope you did, look back with me at Exodus 35 and verse 31. There we read these words. And he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship. Speaking of Bezalel in this particular verse. So it was clearly the Holy Spirit who had given to Bezalel the skill that he needed to build the tent, the tabernacle. He gave to Bezalel and Aholiab the creative skill necessary to make a beautiful tent where the people could worship God. This makes sense because the Holy Spirit is always creating something new. In the second verse in the entire Bible, we read that it was the Spirit of God who was hovering over the face of the waters just before the world was created. The Holy Spirit creates. And so it was the Holy Spirit who gave to Bezalel and Holiab the creative skill necessary to build a beautiful tent in which the people could worship God outside of Egypt in the wilderness. And when Bezalel and Holiab were filled with the Spirit, they generously wanted to share the gifts that God had given to them 
with all of the people of Israel in building the tabernacle tent. But it wasn't just the craftsmen that the Holy Spirit had made generous. Notice what happened to all of the people of Israel because the Holy Spirit was active in their lives. Look at Exodus 36 and verse 3. There we read, And they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work on the sanctuary. They still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning. So how often were the people of Israel bringing their best goods, their best material to the craftsmen to build the sanctuary? How often were they bringing these gifts? What does it say? Every morning. It's like they wake up every morning in their house and they say, this would look really good in the tabernacle. This could be used to worship God. I must bring this. I must give it so that God might be glorified. That's what the people said every morning. It's pretty generous, isn't it? And what kind of offerings were the people giving according to verse 3? What's the adjective that's used to describe the offerings they gave? They were called what? Free will offerings. The people freely gave. It wasn't like they had to be coerced into giving by some kind of a telephone sales pitch or an endless barrage of emails telling them to give to the financial capital campaign. They didn't need that. They freely gave of what they had. They wanted to give to the tabernacle. It was their joy to give. Why? The people of Israel had just come out of Egypt, where they had been slaves for 400 years. The Israelites had been involved in plenty of building projects in Egypt, but they were forced into these building projects. They were slaves, after all. They had no choice. But what had God done for the Israelites? He had set them free from slavery by a series of miracles. And in the last miracle, the miracle of the Passover, God had revealed to them that their sins had been forgiven and they had been covered by the blood of the Lamb. Israel's God then had redeemed them and forgiven them of all of their sin. And in response to these generous gifts of God, the people of Israel generously gave what they had so that God could be worshipped. Well, you might ask me, well, why do you think it was the Holy Spirit who inspired such generosity among all of Israel's people? Well, I want you to think about when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. I'd like for us to read out loud together one of the results of the Holy Spirit in the church from Acts 2 verses 44 and 45. Let's read together. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. When the Holy Spirit came upon the church, the church became generous. 
So I believe that it was the Holy Spirit who inspired such generosity among the people of Israel as they built the tabernacle tent. The people were so generous that the craftsmen had to tell Moses in verse 5, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. And this forced Moses to tell the people in verse 6, let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution for the sanctuary. Stop giving, Moses said. You are just too generous in this work. A few weeks ago, I met for lunch with a pastor from our area. And in his younger years, this particular pastor was a youth pastor. And when he was a youth pastor, one of the 16-year-olds in his youth group had a mother who was dying of cancer. And this mom, this particular mom, was a, a single mom. And she didn't have any close family who could take care of her son after she died. She wanted to find someone who could help raise her son through high school and through college. And so who do you think that she asked to adopt her son? It was the one man that her son respected more than anyone else, her son's youth pastor. Well, even though he was a single man at the time, this pastor that I had lunch with was asked by this single mom to adopt her son. I'm sure that he thought long and hard about what he was asked to do. He probably thought about what it would cost him, not just financially, but also what it might mean for him in terms of him being able to find a wife someday. Would he be able to find a wife who would be willing to add a teenage son immediately to her family? Well, this pastor did the generous thing. He did adopt this 16-year-old from his youth group. The Holy Spirit within him made him generous, as the Holy Spirit makes all Christians generous. Now, I'd like to talk with you a little bit more this morning about this tabernacle tent that was created in the days of Exodus from the perspective of the story of the entire Bible. I'd like for us to fly at about 30,000 feet right now to see the story of the tabernacle being built within the context of the whole story of the Bible. So what is the story of the Bible about? What's the point of the story of the Bible? The story of the Bible is a story about the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, wanting to live among his people. Amazingly enough, God wants to live with you. God wants to live with me. Isn't that incredible? That God wants to live right in the middle of us? But that's what he wants. That has always been God's plan. And so when the Holy Spirit hovered over the world in Genesis chapter 1, he eventually created the Garden of Eden so that God could walk in the midst of the first people that he created, Adam and Eve. But as we know, as we read the story, Adam and Eve sinned. They rebelled against God, and God's holy presence became too dangerous for people to live with. But did this stop God from wanting to live in the middle of his people? Did it stop him? 
No. The holy God made a way for sin to be forgiven through the sacrifice of animals at the tabernacle that we read about in Exodus. The blood of the animals at the tabernacle would atone for the sin of the people. And the tabernacle was supposed to remind people of the Garden of Eden as they stepped into it. It was supposed to be a picture of heaven on earth. The blue and the purple linen of the tent with the angels woven into the linen was supposed to be a picture of the heavens. The lampstand in the tent was supposed to be a reminder to the people of the God who had said, let there be light. And the buds and the blossoms on that lampstand was supposed to remind the people of the tree of life that was there in the Garden of Eden. God still wanted to live with us, even though we had sinned. We could still have heaven on earth. We could still meet with God at the tabernacle. And while God's people Israel lived in tents out in the wilderness, God also would live in a tent right in the middle of his own people. The Lord was at the center of his people. But the sacrifice of animals was not a final solution for sin. The people kept right on sinning. They needed a better sacrifice for sin. And they needed greater power to stop sinning. So what did God send so that he could live among his people? First, he sent Jesus to live among us. In John chapter 1 and verse 14, I'd like for us to read together some words about Jesus. Let's read out loud together. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now the word that is translated dwelt in that verse literally means tabernacle. Jesus tabernacled among us just like God tabernacled among his people in the days of Exodus. God lived among us in the person of his son, Jesus. And after Jesus paid the debt that we owe for our sin by dying for our sins on the cross, and after Jesus was resurrected from the dead and ascended into heaven, who did God send to live among us? The Holy Spirit. We no longer then need to go to a tabernacle to meet with God. The God of the universe lives where? He lives in us. Isn't that amazing? God lives in us as his people. Let's read together from 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? God lives in you. Heaven has come to earth. This is what God has always wanted. God has always wanted to live among us. And now that God lives in us, we have the power not to sin and to offend 
the God that we love. And one day soon, we Christians will live out the last part of the Bible's story. We will go to heaven where there will be no more tabernacle, no more temple. Instead, we are going to live in the direct presence of God for all eternity. What an amazing thing we have to look forward to. So how should we respond to such a generous God? How should we respond to a God who wants to live among us and has made a way for us to live with him through his son Jesus and through the Holy Spirit? Shouldn't we be generous in response? Shouldn't we be just as generous as the people who gave to the building of the tabernacle in the days of Exodus? We should want to hold nothing back because we desperately want God to continue to live among us. Generosity takes hold of you when the Holy Spirit enters your life. Well, you become generous not only when the Holy Spirit enters your life, you also become generous when God stirs up your heart. Because God had set the people free from slavery and he had forgiven their sins, their hearts had been stirred to give, to worship this God who loved them. We see this theme of God stirring up the hearts of the people in Exodus. In the passage that we read today in Exodus 36 and verse 2, we read that God had called Bezalel and Aholiab and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put skill, everyone whose heart stirred him up to come do the work. So what had happened to the craftsmen? Their hearts had been stirred up by God to serve God with the gifts that he had given to them. God had done a work on their hearts. The focus of the heart is also seen in Exodus chapter 25 and verse 2. If you have your Bible with you, please turn to that verse earlier in Exodus. Exodus 25 and verse 2, we see God speaking to Moses in that place. And God says in Exodus 25 to speak to the people of Israel that they take for me a contribution from every man whose heart moves him. You shall receive the contribution for me. So who was it then who gave to the building of the tabernacle? Only those whose hearts had been moved by God. They were the ones who gave after God had stirred up their hearts. We only become generous after God stirs up our hearts. If your heart is not stirred up, you will have no generosity. But when our hearts are right, what happens to our purse strings? They get loosened up, don't they? And the problems that churches have of finance and supply come to an end when God stirs up our hearts. We used to spend our money pursuing selfish ends. We were slaves to our selfish desires. But God has set us free. We now belong to the God who has set us free from sin. 
And one sign of the fact that we belong to God is the generosity of our giving. Now, sometimes after I, I preach a sermon that has to do with money, people get upset, believe it or not. They don't like to hear about money. And they will say things to me like, why does the church always talk about money? Well, one answer to that question is that Jesus always talks about money. If you read through the Gospels, you see Jesus over and over again talking to the people about the subject of money. Jesus told 40 different parables in the Gospels, and those parables are stories with a spiritual point at the end of them. And how many of those 40 parables had to do with money? 11 out of 40 parables had something to do with money. More than 25% of Jesus' stories had to do with how the people were using the money God had given to them. And the reason Jesus spoke so much about money is found in a verse in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 21. So let's read this verse together out loud from Matthew 6. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So what did Jesus mean by this statement? I think that one thing that Jesus meant for sure is this. Jesus is not so much interested in your money as he is interested in what? Your heart. That's what Jesus really wants. Jesus wants your heart. Okay, that's one thing that Jesus is saying in this statement. But another thing that Jesus is saying here is that your heart always goes wherever you put the money that God gives you. So let's say for a moment that you put the money that God gives you into some stocks. Maybe you invest your money in some of the tech stocks that are doing well, like Facebook or Apple or Amazon or Netflix. So on a regular basis, you get on your computer and you're checking to see how your stocks are doing. Now, why are you doing that? You're doing that because not only have you invested your money in these stocks, you have invested your heart in these stocks. And when your stocks go up, your heart does the happy dance. You're excited. Wow, isn't that great? My money is increasing. What a great day. Wherever you put your money, your heart will necessarily follow. So now's the time for me to ask you perhaps a painful question. Where is your heart? What would Jesus say about your heart for him and his kingdom based on what you do with the money that he gives to you? Now, I know that many of you are very generous. I see it. Your heart for Jesus has been stirred up. And as a result of your heart being stirred up, you give generously to the work of God and his kingdom and his church. Others of you perhaps might say, well, I do love Jesus. I really do. But I, I can't give anything to the church. I, I'm in so much debt. I've got bills I have to pay. If that describes you, here, here's what I would have to say to you today. Why don't you try an experiment? 
If you are giving nothing to the church, give something. Give something that feels like a sacrifice. Give and see if God does not still supply all your needs. I have a suspicion that he will. He is that good. But why don't you try it for yourself and find out? And if you are comfortable in whatever level of giving you are at, my advice to you is to get uncomfortable. It is a good thing for God to allow you to become uncomfortable in every area of your life. Getting uncomfortable allows God to grow your faith and to grow your love for him. Our faith never grows if we never get uncomfortable. God has done so much for you. He has forgiven you of all of your sins. He has given you his son, Jesus. He has poured out on you his Holy Spirit to fill you. He wants to live with you for all eternity. And he also wants to live with others who do not yet know him. Doesn't that stir your heart? Isn't your heart stirred up today by the goodness of God? Isn't God your greatest treasure? If your heart has been stirred, give. Give generously as God has been generous with you. Last week, Pastor Travis talked about how Hope Baptist Church has formed a building committee to build a new multi-purpose building so that more people from our community can come to this place and hear about Jesus. That's one way the leadership of our church believes that generous giving could grow God's kingdom in this place. Another way that the elders have been talking about growing God's kingdom here is by adding a church staff member who would be responsible for leading our worship. If we were able to add such a staff member, we could release Pastor Travis from his responsibilities in worship so that he could focus more of his time and his energy in leading us in more outreach activities in our community. If we could free Travis to lead us in such outreach, we believe that God's kingdom would grow here in this place. As we close this morning, I want you to use your imagination. I want you to imagine having come to church today and you saw a sign on the door. And the sign read, Absolutely no offering will be taken or allowed at church today. Now, you would probably think to yourself, that is crazy. That church cannot be serious about this sign. But then when you walked into the sanctuary, you saw the five offensive linemen for the New England Patriots standing right here in front of the offering plates. They standed with their arms crossed and with their best, you shall not pass, look. And then you realized, okay, this church really is serious. They really don't want an offering today. You can't give an offering because the people of the church have been too generous. 
The Holy Spirit has moved them to give above and beyond what is reasonable to expect. So everyone needs to stop giving for a while. Can you imagine that such a day would come for the church? Such a day did come for God's people when they lived out in the wilderness in the days of the Exodus. And I pray that such a day would come again. Let's pray today before we take our offering because we have not yet reached that level of generosity. All right? So let's pray together. God, what a generous God you are. How great you are to want to live among us even though we have sinned against you, even though we are rebels, your desire is to live among us for all eternity. And so we thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for Jesus who died on the cross for our sins. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who now lives in us and fills us. And we ask, O oh God, that you would bless the giving of this offering for your glory and for your honor in this community. In Christ's name we pray, amen.